0: So we turn now to the third of our five Lenten Gospels on this journey through the 40 days through the desert to the Garden of Easter where death is swallowed up in victory. In the first two weeks we saw ourselves in the desert and then on the mountain. But with this third Gospel we really do enter in a sense, the very ordinary world of human events and situations because we are presented immediately with two current events, at least current at the time. The first of them was one of Pilate's many acts of communal violence. His time as governor was a a very bloody affair, it seems, and Jesus speaks about the Galileans, those troublemakers from the north, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So that's the first current affair. And then the collapse of the tower at Siloam that falls on people and kills them. So that would have been another big news item. So that's where we start for this third Sunday of Lent. But the real question isn't so much about current events. It is about what those deaths mean in terms of sin and punishment for sin. Because it may have been tempting to say that what happened to those Galileans and what happened to the people upon whom the tower fell is that they were being punished for sin. Out of the blue, death came upon them, giving them no time for preparation or anything like that. So out of the blue, death comes, and could be thought perhaps as being a punishment for sin. There's a logic to that, I guess. But what this gospel passage makes very clear, again it's from Luke, is that that's not the way God works. Jesus says that these Galileans and the people upon whom the tower fell, they were no more guilty than other people living in Jerusalem or wherever, up in Galilee. So this isn't the way God works, out of the blue, bang, bang. A punishment for sin. Now, this question of how to deal with sin was very central and still is very central to the Old Testament, but also to the New. In answer to the question, how do we deal with sin? At first, the Old Testament says, well, it's very simple, really. Just don't do it. Now, that's all very well, but in time they came to see that's not realistic because no matter how often the human being is told, don't do it, in fact human beings do sin. So there has to be another answer to the question, how do we or how does God even deal with sin and its devastating after effects, which in terms of the scripture means death. Death gives birth to sin. So another answer then to which the Old Testament moves is that in the temple ritual there is a a tackling of sin. In other words, the Day of Atonement and all that went on. The sacrificial ritual of the temple was a way of dealing with sin and averting its devastating effects. But the problem with that is what happens when the temple's not there, when the temple is destroyed, and the temple was destroyed. Where does that leave us when we're cut off from the atoning ritual that deals with sin and its devastating effects. The radical and utterly original answer to which the New Testament moves, in other words, Jesus, is that the only way of dealing with sin and its effects is forgiveness. That's God's way of dealing with sin and averting its after-effects. But forgiveness is not cheap. It's not immediate. Because, you see, God awaits our response. This again takes us way back to the first page of the Bible where God is shown as a God who wants to work with us. So God awaits our response. Hence, there's no punishment that comes out of nowhere for sin. God wants us to respond in order that we might receive the gift of forgiveness. So what is the response that God awaits? It's what Jesus in the Gospel calls repentance. Unless you repent, you will all perish, as they did. In other words, if you don't repent, you'll die. It's as simple as that. So the stakes are high. And it's only if we find our way to repentance, with all that that means, that we will become fruitful. Now, what does repentance mean? It means seeing the truth of myself, moving beyond all denial and self-excuse and the tendency to minimalise all the stuff that we know so well, to, to face the truth of the fact that I have sinned and that I bear responsibility now, that sounds easy, but it's not, as we know. If you look again to those, the, the very first pages of the Bible, you'll see that one of the prime symptoms of, of a fallen world is the attempt to deny or shift responsibility. It wasn't me. Because when, when, when God asks Adam, what have you done? Adam's replies, it was her. Don't blame me. It wasn't me. It was her, the woman, that you gave me. And then when God again asks the question of the woman, Eve, what have you done? Summoning Eve, as with Adam, to self-knowledge, to repentance, what does Eve say? wasn't me, it was the snake. The serpent made me do it. So again, that tendency to, to shift responsibility, deny responsibility is at the heart of the fallen world, and repentance summons us beyond that. And it's only if we come to that experience of truth that we will become fruitful as we are called to be. Now, just on this question of fruitfulness that is um, put to us in the parable of the fig tree that follows, a word about merit... Which is a problematic word in our theological and liturgical vocabulary. It's found its way into the Missal. Frequently, you'll hear the word merit, at the second Eucharistic prayer, that we may merit to be co heirs to eternal life. And it can have a kind of a Pelagian ring to it, but that's not what's being said. Merit in our theological and liturgical vocabulary is all about fruitfulness. You see, grace does, God's grace, bears fruit in the human being. It's not fruitless. So that that we we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life means that as the fruit of your grace, not our own effort, your grace, by the fruit of your grace, we may become heirs to eternal life. So I would suggest that every time you hear the word merit, particularly in our liturgical texts, Think of it in terms of the fruitfulness to which Jesus summons us in this gospel, the fruitfulness that comes from grace. That's what merit is really all about. The parable of the fig tree, like all the parables of Jesus, begins in a very ordinary world. We've already seen the ordinary human world of current events. But here in the parable of the fig tree, we, we encounter the, the very ordinary world of, of an agricultural society, uh, very familiar to Jesus' own time and the people to whom he was speaking the parable. So it's a very ordinary world that at some point turns extraordinary. That's always true of the parables of Jesus. And then the parable is never finished. Why? Because it always looks to the human response as God always does. So those three features you'll find common in different configurations, but common to all the parables of Jesus. Many others use parables as a teaching form, but Jesus uses them in a quite distinctive way. So they always begin in the ordinary human world. You don't have to escape into some kind of phantasmagoric other world. The ordinary human world where the extraordinary, the kingdom moment, emerges at some point, and that can be hard to recognize, and then the parables are always unfinished because they look to the human response. That's what we see here. Um, Repentance. The tree is not fruitful. That's the problem. The tree is meant to bear fruit, just as we are, but the tree is not bearing fruit. And the final quick solution would be cut the tree down. And we're told that that's what the owner says. Cut, cut it down now. That, that's a sudden quick fix. Get rid of it now. But no, the reply is, um, give it time. And this is the way God is with us. The God who gives us time. So here we're touching into the divine patience, the patience of the God who wants to bring us to the point where we really are working with God, not against God. That's the way of death. Working with God is the way into life. So we're told, leave it one more year. Give me time to dig around it and, and fertilise it, manure it. And then it may bear fruit. If not then, you can cut it down. So we are given time But the time is not unlimited. So the question then becomes for us at this point in Lent, what does it mean to dig and to fertilise? I mean, around ourselves. In terms of the Gospel that we heard last time, the the Gospel of the Transfiguration, the digging and the fertilising is all about listening to Jesus. Jesus listening to Jesus, because only he can tell us the truth of what repentance is, and only he can speak the word of forgiveness. And you see, if you look at the gospel, the way Jesus is, is persecuted and finally crucified, they couldn't forgive him for forgiving. But this takes us to the very nub of the revelation that is in Jesus Christ crucified and risen. He is the only one who can speak the word of forgiveness. And in the Gospels, when he does, they scandalise. Who but God can forgive sin? Well, the answer is God with us speaks the word of forgiveness. So we are given time to listen to the truth that Jesus speaks about us in our sin, but then to believe that forgiveness is possible because somewhere in my heart I can believe that, that there is no forgiveness or that there is some sin perhaps even in my life that is Unforgivable. And there is no such thing. So to allow Jesus to speak to us the truth about ourselves, and only he can show us that truth, but then to listen to him speak the greater truth of his forgiveness, which knows no end, and to accept that forgiveness not as something earned but as a gift, and that's what it always is, never earned, you can never earn forgiveness. It must be received as a gift. Now, if we can hear the word that, that shows us the truth of ourselves and the truth of God's forgiveness, then we are like the fig tree that is dug around and fertilised for another year and then, surprise, surprise, bears the most astonishing fruit. So the good news that comes to us on this third Sunday of Lent, is that whatever the truth of sin in the world or in our life, we're dealing with an infinitely, pa- not an infinitely patient God, a God who is extraordinarily patient but who looks for our response all the time to open to the truth of repentance and forgiveness and a God whose grace therefore in us and in the church bears fruit that will last or